So it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, to chapter 6, verse 5. And that's page 1172 on the Church Bibles. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Uh, Let's ask for God's help as we begin. Paul says this, I did not receive the gospel from any person, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by a revelation from Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, as we think on that gospel tonight and uh, what it means for us now, that you would help us to receive it, uh, not as words of uh, a man or woman, but as words from you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we go on in the Christian life. How do we go on? Uh, We've spoken a lot, haven't we, in our series in Galatians about how we get into the uh, Christian life, Uh, but uh, we haven't asked the question, how do we go on? See, how do we go on? What are we meant to be doing with our time? See, if you're a Christian, you know you're saved in Jesus, and you await a new creation, but I I guess for a lot of us, we don't quite know what we're meant to do in the in-between bit. Or or what do I do when it feels like 
it's got a bit stale. Uh, Yes, I said a prayer on summer camp years ago, but now in my day-to-day life, it doesn't feel very fresh. It doesn't feel very new. Yes, I trust in Jesus, but how do I go on? Or how do I go on when there's signs that actually there's still sin present in my life? When I still face that same cycle of struggle after struggle after struggle, how do I go on? So it's an important question, isn't it, for us who are Christian? And perhaps if you're looking into the Christian life, it's an important question for you because you want to know what you're signing up for. But it's a question that isn't immediately obvious. Uh, See, it's a question that kind of confused the Galatian church. The Galatian church had got the gospel, they'd done Christianity Explored, they got grace, they got the cross, but the thing is, they didn't know how to go on. Uh, Look at what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3, about them. He says this, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So see what he says. He's saying, look, you started well, you started with the Spirit, but now you're going on the wrong way, human effort. And this section in chapter 5 is about the right way to go on. How we go on, not just reversing to human effort, but how we go on with the Spirit. Uh, We're going to see uh, that um, we have a new calling to serve, we have a new means, the Spirit, and we have a new purpose to strive. Uh, First of all, then, we have a new calling to serve. See, what are we saved for? Uh, Yes, Jesus saves us by his death and resurrection, but what's the purpose of that? Well, the answer comes in verse 13 of chapter 5. Have a look at what Paul says. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Notice uh, there's a positive and a negative. The negative is not to indulge the sinful nature. The positive is to serve one another. And the trouble is we hear sinful nature, and I guess immediately our thoughts go to all the kind of regular sins, the the things that we think of when we hear the word sin. But actually, this is less about my personal sins and more about the whole church. See, all the yous in this passage are plural. It's like you lot he's speaking to. And when he gets into what defines sinful nature, it's all kind of churchy community stuff. Have a look at verse 20, where he talks about idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So it's all stuff that's kind of one another. And Paul, is, so Paul here is not saying don't sin in your personal life, although that's true, but he's saying you as a church, you're not to live on like you did Uh, under your own steam. You're to live a new way, one where you're serving one another. And it seems that the Galatians had just forgotten that. Uh, Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse uh, 14 about them. He says, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And then he says, what has happened to all your joy? 
And he says in chapter 5, verse 5, in our passage today, he warns them, uh, not 5, verse 5, he warns them, uh, sorry, 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, you will not be destroyed with each other. See, they got in the right way. They showed that love, that service of others at the beginning. They got that salvation was through faith alone, uh, by Christ alone, by grace alone. But then they used their freedom for themselves. See, they got into this circumcision thing because it offered a way of putting themselves above one another. And so they used this freedom not to serve others, but to serve themselves, to serve their own achievements. But Paul says, no, the moment you become a Christian, you don't just start with the Spirit, you go on with the Spirit. You don't just start this way, you go on as well. I've got a family member who's moving to France uh, in a year or so's time, and even though it's only a short flight away, they've got to kind of get used to this whole new way of life. Of course, they learn in the language, uh, they're um, kind of getting used to the customs, they're reading some of the books, they're trying some of the cheeses and the wines just to get in the zone. <laughs> See, it'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it, to think that their job of kind of getting into France happens the moment the plane touches down. Actually, there's a whole culture, a whole new way of living. And it's like that for the Christians. See, a lot of us see the Christian life as just getting on the right plane. And of course, that's where it starts. But actually, we're not called just to enjoy freedom for ourselves. But we're called into a new culture where we look no longer for ourselves, but for others. Uh, To put it in a diagram for those people who find this helpful. See, we've been transferred from the world of flesh, the sinful nature, where division is the hallmark, into this new world of the Spirit, where love shown in self-sacrifice is the way things are done. That's why Paul quotes the law in verse 14. He says, the whole law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Because they were using the law as a kind of thing to prop them up, to to justify their achievements. And Paul says, no, you've missed the whole point. It was driving you towards serving one another. See, how do we go on? Well, we go on by serving one another. See, I wonder sometimes if this is a bit of a blind spot for us evangelicals. See, in our effort to get salvation right, we can often stress how we come into the Christian life, but we downplay how we go on And of course, both those things are important. It's absolutely true to stress that Jesus is the way we come in. But God hasn't kind of just saved us and then left us to get on with things ourselves. Nor has he saved us just to kind of carry on with life as we did before. No, he saved us for a purpose. And that is to serve one another. Uh, Martin Luther, the kind of old um, uh, reformer, said this, really helpful. A Christian man or woman is the most free Lord of all, Subject to none, a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. But why would I want to serve others? I mean, and how do I do it? See, coming on to the second bit, we see that we have a new means here, and it's the Spirit. Because maybe we think to ourselves, well, that sounds all very well and nice, hashtag love one another. 
but it doesn't sound very plausible. And of course, it doesn't sound very remarkable that we're talking about loving and serving one another. Lots of people want to do that in our world. So what's the difference here? Well, Paul shows that actually there is a new guide at work. He comes up in verse 16 when Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. See, this isn't just a kind of new law. It's not like Paul's saying, forget the law of Moses. Here's another law that you've got to kind of do under your own steam. This isn't a new burden to kind of put on our shoulders and make us feel bad about ourselves. Actually, this is a completely new life brought about by the Spirit. See, when he says, if you're led by the Spirit, he's not talking there about kind of two types of Christians, the Spirit-led ones or the non-Spirit-led ones. He's showing them that they are to be led by the Spirit because it was the Spirit who called them. Have a flick back to chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, chapter 4, verse 6, because your sons, God sent the Spirit of his sons into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, without the Holy Spirit, none of us would be Christian. Jesus could have died, he could have rose, but without the Spirit's work, that work of Jesus would not be connected to us. But the thing is, that same Spirit who is at work in conversion is now at work in the church. See, uh, go back to our diagram. We've been brought out of this present evil age, as Paul calls it in chapter 1, a world where, we, um, where there's division, and we've been brought into this new creation by the Holy Spirit, a world where there's marked in service of one another. Now, why does that matter? Well, because it changes the reason and the how we serve. See, we're not serving against our kind of better instincts. We're not kind of mustering up all our energy to serve, even though it's kind of impossible. See, we're living out what the Spirit is doing in the church. See, in chapters, uh, in verses 19 to 23, Paul lists um, the uh, acts of the sinful nature. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 22 to speak about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't know how you felt when that was read out, but it's, when I first read, read that, I, I thought to myself, oh, here's a list to kind of beat me up. And it'd be very easy for me to preach a sermon that says, well, let's go through that spiritual checklist. How are you doing on sexual morality? How are you doing on hatred? How are you doing on jealousy? And then go to verse 22, do more of patience, more of kindness, more of goodness. And of course, you know, there's a place for that. We should examine ourselves. But remember what this meant for the Galatians. See, the life described in verse 20 is not uh, something they are, it's something they were. Now, of course, there's a warning there, verse 21, he says, those who practice such things, not kind of slip up now and again, but those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul's point is not to first and foremost beat them up. But verse 24 tells us that he's there to build them up. Because he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. See, the moment you become a Christian, he says you've crucified 
the sinful nature. It doesn't mean there's not a struggle. We'll come to that. It doesn't mean that we've kind of left that realm. We will come back to that. But it does mean that we have fundamentally shift categories, that actually we've been called by the Spirit, and now the Spirit is at work in us. It's not that the Spirit just does His work to bring us over the line, but He continues to do that work day by day, month by month, year by year. It's easy to look at the church, isn't it, and think about all its problems, but for all its faults, the church is pretty amazing because it's a worldwide group of totally different people, different cultures, different backgrounds, different generations, and those people love and serve one another. Now, I know lots of us have grown up in the church, which is a great thing, but it's very easy to kind of take that for granted. But when I went to church for the first time as an adult, I was utterly amazed by this, because there at this university church, I saw all the guys that were so annoying uh, in my halls of residence. Uh, people who looked funny, people who were a bit geeky, uh, people who I just wouldn't hang out with uh, at any other time. And yet, instead of getting the cold shoulder as they would at university, here were other people in the church looking out for them, being patient with them, being gentle with them, looking like they loved them, even though they were difficult to love. And that feeling I got when I saw that never escaped me because I thought to myself, this is something different here. And Paul says, absolutely it is. It is because of the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, there would be no inclination to love those who are difficult to love. But the Spirit changes us, so our desires are to love and serve others. I wonder if you see the church that way. I mean, the the church, it can be very easy, can't it, to think this is a thing I do on a Sunday. It's a motion to go through. I know sometimes I roll out of bed and don't always get as excited as I should do. But actually, this was a bit of a rebuke for me as I looked through this, because I thought, Rob, look, this is the Spirit's work. Okay, there's lots of challenges we face, but it is the work of the Spirit, no less. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Well, thirdly and finally, we see that we have a new purpose to strive. Because you might think to yourself, well, the fact that it's the Holy Spirit's work means it's not our work. And the Galatians might have thought to themselves, well, we can be passive. We can sit back and let God do the work. But actually, Paul shows it's the opposite. In verse 25, he says this, since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, because we're led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And that that word, keep in step, it's the idea of keeping in line, keeping in with the pack. And Paul says to the Galatians, you're not to go off pursuing the law, not going off pursuing circumcision, but actually keep in line with the work that the Spirit has already done and is doing in you. See, the very fact that the Holy Spirit is at work forming this new community is the very reason we are to strive to keep in step. It's not a reason to throw our hands up and think, well, let go and let God, or actually it's an impossible task. See, because the Spirit is doing this work, as we serve one another, we're pushing on an open door as we struggle to get alongside that annoying person, we're not doing so on our own. 
we're doing so with the Spirit. As we're tempted just to kind of spend a night on Netflix rather than visiting that struggling Christian we know, it's because the Spirit is at work. And the point is, they're already on this right path. The Spirit has already started in their conversion, and He's continuing. And their job is to line up with the Spirit's work. Now, I'm a, uh, I like uh, to cycle, but I made the mistake of going out with my neighbor, who is a keen mountain biker. I mean, keen, proper keen. He's got lycra and all that. And um, I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't really have the bike for it. I uh, didn't really have the legs for it either. Uh, but as we went out, it was like cycling on a swamp. I mean, he'd probably tell me I haven't seen anything. Uh, but it was really difficult. I got stuck in the mud. I was exhausted. And I thought, I want to go home, uh, back to my mummy. But um, I noticed that actually, uh, as he cycled, he would flatten the mud. And he had nice big fat, uh, fat tires. And so... Um, if I kind of kept in the trail that he had formed, I knew I could make it. I knew I could have the power to cycle through. And that's kind of the idea here, that actually it's the Spirit's work, and our job is to kind of keep in his trail. See, when Paul speaks about the Spirit's fruit, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control... These are not impossible tasks that we've kind of got to muster up the energy to achieve. These are the things the Spirit is bringing about in the church. And we can pray, we can seek to show this sort of fruit. Now, does that mean it's a walk in the park? Uh, No, my cycle wasn't. uh, Because verse 17, he shows that actually this is a difficult task. He says in verse 17 that the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. See, going back to our diagram, there's a clash that actually we are in this new realm of the spirit, but the old world of the flesh is still at work. And so while we might have this inclination to serve one another, actually we're getting dragged back to what comes instinctively to us. And I guess if we feel that tug, actually that's an encouragement, isn't it? So if we feel that tug to love someone, not just because of what they can give me, but because it's right to love them, then actually that's an encouraging sign. Because it reminds us that we are in that new realm that is warring against the realm of the flesh. But it isn't impossible despite the struggle. See, in 6 verse 1, Paul gives an example of someone caught in sin. And again, what he doesn't mean there is some sort of personal sin, I don't think, first and foremost. But I think he's talking about what he's been speaking about in the verses before, that this is someone caught up in sins of division, of selfishness. Now, I don't know what your instinct is when people get caught in those sort of things. Mine is to give them a wide berth. But actually, he says it's a totally different way. He says in verse 1, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you might be tempted. See, it's a new way of living, isn't it? Not just handing people over, not just being disinterested, but being a community where we're serving one another in love. I wonder how you see the church. Is the church more of a 
kind of cinema or a field hospital? Is it a place to serve us or for us to serve in? See, so often I come to church and I have all the wrong motivations. I I feel that actually it's a place to build me up and to help me uh, go out into the week. And of course, it is hard being a Christian and we do want to be encouraged. But actually, first and foremost, it is a place where the Spirit is at work and I have the opportunity to stay, uh, keep in step with that Spirit's work. So imagine what St. Mary's would look like if we all spent every moment thinking about serving others. Thinking, I know Fred is having a difficult time. I'm going to help him. Thinking, I know Sally is struggling with sin. I'm going to make sure I check up with her and ask her how I can pray. Now, there are great examples of that here at church, and I want to celebrate that, but I know I need to hear that challenge because so easily, it's so easy for me to revert to the old ways of doing things. But thirdly and finally, or fourthly rather, why do this? Well, 6 verse 2 is where we're going to finish because here Paul gives us the whole motivation for all this. See, we're called to serve, we're given a new means in the Spirit, and we're called to strive. But here's why we do it, verse six, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, when he says fulfill the law of Christ, he doesn't mean, right, do a new law here, do a, a law from Christ. He's saying that, look, remember how Christ fulfilled the law, how he didn't use his freedom to indulge himself how he loved us by laying down his life. See, Christ didn't use his freedom as a reason to indulge himself. Rather, he exchanged that freedom for the shackles of a cross to save even his fiercest enemies so that you and me might be free not to just serve ourselves or live on in sin, but to serve like him to follow his pattern, empowered by the Spirit. How do we go on in the Christian life? Well, it's the same way we came in. We come in uh, through being served, and we go on serving one another. We came in by the Holy Spirit's work, and we go on keeping in step with that same Spirit. And as Christ strived for us, we continue striving to keep in step with that spirit. Let's pray and then we'll take questions. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness to us. Thank you that the Lord Jesus served us and that by his death and resurrection, we might be free to serve others. Please help us, we pray, our Father, to know how to do that in our own lives, how to do that as a church. And please, Father, help us to Uh, Live out what your word tells us by your spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to try and answer some of your questions now. Thank you so much for all those uh, who sent them in. Rob's going to try his best to answer them for you. Yeah, I'll try. Great. Uh, So our first question that we're going to look at um, is this. How do we interpret the individualistic tone uh, of verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6? in light of the corporate tone of the rest of the passage. 
Oh, great question. I was hoping you didn't notice that. Um, <laughs> thank you for reading ahead. Um, <laughs> yes, because it can sound like he's just said, um, bear with one another, don't boast, um, don't look to yourself, and then suddenly he's saying, uh, you should compare yourself with, um, sorry, you should test your own actions and focus on yourself. So it kind of sounds almost contradictory to what's come before. Um, I think the thing to say is probably whenever you see something that seems contradictory like that, it may be, but actually it may be we just need to do a bit more unpacking. And I think this is one of those places where a bit more unpacking helps us. So verse 3 tells us, uh, this is the big point Paul's trying to make, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So um, what he's trying to get us to see is actually we're basically not to think too highly of ourselves. So um, it's not that we think we're something and we get proud. Uh, actually, we often deceive ourselves because we think we're something when we're nothing. And therefore, verse 4, you should test your own actions. Rather, um, and when I think he talks about taking pride in yourself, it's looking at what you've actually contributed rather than looking at the achievements uh, of others. So it's, it's not there to kind of give us a kind of backdoor to be an individual um, it's there to really humbly assess what we've done. And as you do that, you feel, actually, I've brought nothing to the party. I might feel I'm a big cheese, but actually, I didn't save myself. I didn't change myself. The Spirit did. Um, and okay, I, I enjoy lots of blessings of being part of a church, but most part, that's other people as well. So as I look at that work, actually, I'm brought down. Um, can I just say one short thing on that? So this is really helpful, I think, because it then gives us... This is how you do it, because actually, um, where does anger come from? Where does dissension come from? Where does pride come from? Well, it comes from thinking too highly of ourselves. And actually, as we look at the gospel, we see that we can't. And this kind of community is possible. Great. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. That was brilliant. Very helpful. That's what I think, anyway, so far. (laughs) Great. Uh, Next question, then. Um, Does Paul not also have to talk of the individual, even if he's referring to the church as in the community? Uh, of uh, church's sin um, and spiritual gifts, i.e. the church equals the sum of individuals. Yeah, so, I mean, it does include individual sin, so I don't want to say it's not, but I think I'm just trying to push back against that kind of, because our kind of Western way of thinking, we're thinking individual first and group second. I want to turn that around and say, actually, it's group first, individual second. Um, and the reason for that is all the U's are plural. We miss this in English. But he's going, you lot, or as they say in America, you all, um, <laughs> I think. Um, so, and then, because as I say, there's a kind of, okay, there's a kind of um, particular skew on these particular sins, which is about how we uh, a bad community and how we're a good one. Great. Brilliant. But yes, it does. Yeah, thank you. Sweet. I won't say any more. <laughs> Great. Next question. Uh, can any of us actually restore a person caught in sin? Uh, when we all sin is what, uh, sorry when we all sin in one way or another yeah thank you so um, again six verse one can sound a bit strange to our ears can't it because I guess we immediately think of oh no if someone's caught up in I don't know adultery or, or uh, a gambling habit or something that actually we've got to go in and kind of save them from it I don't think that's what kind of Paul's talking about here and the reason not is because the sins he's just spoken about are the sins of a wrecked community. And so I think when he's talking about someone caught in sin, he's, he's talking about the issue in Galatia, which is circumcision, being caught up 
in all that kind of Jewish law thing and being caught up in kind of going back. So I think he's saying rather than write them off, um, restore them gently. And when he says those who are spiritual, he doesn't mean some super Christian. He means those who have got the gospel, who know that actually it's about the spirit. Yeah. Great. Really helpful. Thank you so much. Great. Our last question then. Uh, what does it mean to carry each other's burdens? Do we carry, uh, yeah, do we carry each other's sins? Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure we carry other's sins, but I do think we carry the concern of people who sin. So we are, I know, I, you know, maybe you're a lot better than I am, but I know how individualistic I am and how my temptation is to think, well, they're sinning, silly old them, um, I'm okay. Uh, but actually, that is not the attitude. The attitude is to um, bear one another's burdens. Um, Jesus didn't treat us like that. He didn't say, well, you're an enemy, I'm going to leave you to it. He died for us. He changed us. And so I think it does mean, um, no, we don't burden, bear sins in the sense of kind of Christ did, but we do bear the kind of concern of looking out for one another and caring enough. And I can think of the real close friends I've got um, they've said some of the most tough things to me over the years. And I can remember those points where they've done that. Um, and I thank God they do because it is, they've, they've, they've put friendship on the line for the sake of, um, you know, correcting me or what they saw as correcting me at times. So I do think it means um, being in each other's lives. I do think it means um, knowing each other enough to think, actually, are you at church? Are you kind of... Um, going with the Lord. Um, yeah, that sort of thing as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks so much. That's a great challenge as well for us to do, yeah. not just to come to church and receive, but also just to you know, care for each other and um, yeah. worry yeah. about our, our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and the, the way to do that, it's not kind of rocket science. The way to do that is you've just got to be with people in small groups. Mm. So um, probably small groups, prayer triplets, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, not a new law, but kind of do need to be um, with others to be able to do that work yeah, yeah. definitely brilliant thank you so much Rob thank you. that's really helpful